This morning and then again in worship, I was reminded of a, of a verse that we're not really talking about today, but something that I think God wants to do in some hearts and minds today. Uh, it's found in Ezekiel chapter 36. Uh, this, God has this habit in the Old Testament of telling people what he's going to do long before he actually does it. And this is one of those moments where he's telling them, this is what I'm going to do for you. Um, and then he goes and does it through Christ and the Holy Spirit. In Ezekiel 36, 25, it says, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. Your filth will be washed away, and you will no longer worship idols. And I will give you a new heart, and I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. And I will put my spirit in you so that you will follow my decrees and be careful to obey all of my regulations. Um, I just got the sense this morning that um, God wants to take anyone's heart who feels a little bit cold, distant, uh, even despairing, and just kind of renew you, just to soften you, to make you tender again to God. There's so much hardness in this world. There's so much division and divisiveness. And in the midst of that, we can fall victim to our hearts growing cold and cold towards others, cold towards God. And I think he just wants to make us warm towards him today um, and warm towards one another. And so I'm praying that the Spirit does that in the midst of what's happening um, in your life. Um, and so I'd like to pray before I really hop in to today's message. Will you join me? God, we just declare there's no one like you. You have plans for us and the power to accomplish it in unique ways. And so I just ask today that every plan you have for each individual person, that you would speak uniquely to them, that they might be encouraged, refreshed, a little bit more alive as a result of being with you today. God, bless this time. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Um, Last few weeks and in this season, we've been in a series that is focused on the Holy Spirit. We've talked about the Holy Spirit as a person of God, a being that you can have a relationship with, and we're seeking to get to know the Holy Spirit and to know what it's like for the Spirit to be alive and active in our lives. And one of the discussion things that I had this week with some people was, why are we doing this now as a church? And there's really a couple of reasons, because as we think about what we want for each person that comes in our church, and then what we want for us as a people, as a body, in terms of living as the church, we want the Holy Spirit to fill us, but what do we mean by that? And the scriptures kind of give us two different terms to talk about it, and this sermon series is meant to kind of cover and encourage us to consider both. The first term is the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And that is the internal activity of God on your mind, on your body, on your soul, where the Holy Spirit comes alive in you, in your body, to transform you to be more like Jesus and to trust what Jesus has to say for you. It's typically a private, a very personal act of God that happens inside of you and with you personally. But there's also the language in the scripture of a filling of the Holy Spirit, and a filling of the Holy Spirit is an overwhelming sense of God's presence in your life or in the lives of a community such that it overflows to other people through manifestations. Manifestations of one of just God's character, 
that God is love. And so when you are filled with God, you find yourself loving someone that may not be natural to you. Or you find yourself bringing peace into a place or to a person that because you're so filled with God, it just comes out of you. The filling is something that is an overwhelming sense. It overflows out of you. But it's not just God's character that can overflow. There can be manifestations of God's power, his miracles, that you can be so full of the Spirit that when you pray for someone, they could get healed in a moment. That when you speak to someone, you may hear a unique word of encouragement that you speak to them and it heals them on a soul level or encourages them that God sees them and God has a plan for them. So the overwhelming presence of God is what we are after. We're after that in your body and in your mind and in your soul that you experience God's presence personally. But we want to see us to be so filled as a people, you so full, that everywhere you go, you bring God's presence in an overflowing way. Because we believe that's what the world needs. We believe that's what we need as a community. And in saying that, I want to just communicate the reason that we're after that is not purely aspirational and it's not nostalgic. Meaning it's not aspirational as if it's not something that we can't achieve or haven't. We have seen God's presence manifest in this body, in this people, in a way where we've seen miraculous healing. We've seen emotional healing accelerated, not just through counseling, but through prayer. We have seen crazy manifestations of God that I never thought possible in the midst of this room itself because God's presence filled and overflow. But one of the things that people have experienced, if you've been around our church for a while, you were in us with a season in 2018 and 2019 where we experienced the presence of God in a very full and powerful way. And what I want to encourage those of you who've been there is that this is not about nostalgia. It's not about going back to that. It's that God gave us a taste in that season so that we would learn and begin to hunger and want for more. But it's that we would learn to progress further into God's presence that there is a new way that God wants to lead us that includes those things we've tasted. But it's not just about getting back there. It's about moving from there forward into more and more of God's presence. That's what we want to see God do. And so part of this desire is that you and I would learn to live every day by the power of the Holy Spirit. Dan's message last week, he talked about having new eyes that we might see God's activity in our life in such a way that we couldn't help but tell other people and be witnesses. That that would be the case, that everywhere you go, you see God active and you hear him telling you what to do. But also that we would experience regular filling and overflowing of the Holy Spirit. We want to see manifestations of God, his miracles, his mercy, his kindness. We want to see it overflow every time we gather here in community group, but also when you go to work and when you walk the streets that we see God active and alive in our city. That's what we want to see God do. But today's message is not about the miracles. We'll cover that in future messages. Today's message is about the indwelling work of the Holy Spirit. Why does God seek to indwell inside of your life? And what is the point? What does he do every day that you can learn to be led by the Holy Spirit? And that's what I want to talk about, being led by the Holy Spirit. I'm only going to focus on one verse that Alicia read. Sorry, Alicia, for making you read so much and just focus on one. But hey, context matters. But it's Romans chapter 8, verse 14. And it is that all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. 
And so I want to talk about what it means to be led by the Spirit of God as a child of God. And what Romans 8 is communicating, the reason I read all of that is that what Jesus modeled for us was being led by the Spirit in everything he did, everywhere he went, at every moment. But he did it so that through his work, through the death on the cross and the resurrection, when we place faith in Christ, the Spirit would come inside of us and be alive in such a way that we, like Jesus, will be led every day, in every moment, to do everything that God wants for us that we would learn to be led by the Holy Spirit as it comes and lives rent-free in our minds, in our soul, in our body. That's what God's after. But what you saw in Romans 8 is that there is an internal struggle that we face. An internal struggle between being led by the Spirit, Romans 8 says, or being led by what it describes as our sinful nature. This internal battle. Now, all of us are familiar with that internal battle. And it's not unique to Christianity that there is an internal struggle that every person faces. But there is a unique message behind Christianity about how you can face that struggle. So it's not a unique message. There's actually a very famous Native American proverb that speaks about the story of the two wolves. Some of you may be familiar with it. And the story goes that there's a grandfather and a grandson. And the grandfather's talking to his grandson and he says, There is a fight going on inside of me every day, and it's between two wolves. One wolf is evil. He is anger, envy, regret, resentment, bitterness, pride, ego, insecurity. And the other wolf is good. He is joy, peace, love, hope, generosity, truth, and faith. And the grandfather says, they are fighting to the death. And it is not a fight that I face, it is a fight that every person faces, and it is in you too, grandson. And the grandson takes a moment to reflect, and he asks his grandfather, who wins the fight? And his grandfather responds, the one you feed. The one you feed wins the fight. And what he's speaking to is that there is agency that you and I have, whether to feed the negative emotions, the negative thoughts, the negativity that exists within us, or to feed the positivity, to feed the good that is born within us. Now that message of agency is very important. The scriptures speak of it as well. It says, if you let yourself be led by the Spirit, this will lead to life. If you let yourself be led by the sinful nature, it will lead to death. But the message of Christianity is different from that proverb in that it says you are not alone in the struggle anymore when you place your faith in Christ that you've now been given the Holy Spirit, the power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead inside of you to fight that struggle with you, that you have a new power to tap into that you don't have of your own effort, of your own ability to do so. And so there's a spirit that is now alive in you to help you with that struggle. And so in looking at this, I wanna answer two questions. And then I want to encourage you to enter into a learning process of being led by the Holy Spirit. The two questions are, why follow the Spirit? Because there's a lot of things that you could be led by. The second is to ask the question, how does the Spirit lead in your life? How can you identify it? What does it look like? What does it feel like? And how can you see the Spirit leading and discern it well? So the first question, why follow the Spirit? The reality is you will be led by something. There are two wolves that are battling. 
You're going to be led by something. That's the message of the scripture. We like to think of ourselves as the autonomous, wise, rational individuals that we can assess what's going on and make our own decisions. But if you're honest with yourself, we're often led by our emotions, our feelings in the moment, the impulses, the instincts, the desires. We are often led by something. Here in this passage, he describes it as the flesh or the sinful nature. And he's talking about the unhealthy humanity. And it's not just the evil desires, as we might think. It might even be the noble religious desires. See, he says the law was unable to do what God did. See, if Paul was writing this today, he might be said, don't even be led by the church culture that's been co-opted by politics or power dynamics. That's a fleshly response as well. But he's also speaking to the unhealthy desires that guide you and tempt you. So you will be led by something. The question is, what will you be led by and where is it leading you? Where is it leading you? Paul, in writing this, says it's very clear where the Spirit of God wants to lead you. And it's ultimately where you do want to go. And so let's look at what does the Spirit of God want for you and where will it lead you? There's four things that it describes. In verse 2, it says that it will give you freedom over the power of sin. That sometimes the negativity within you, the anxiety, the fears, the vices are so powerful that they control you. They overwhelm you. You can't stop yourself from giving into it. And so you feel captive in a cycle, a pattern that is unhealthy. The Spirit wants to lead you into freedom and ever-increasing ability to not be bound by that anymore. Along with that freedom, it wants to give you power and not just strength and weakness, but resurrection power. The ability to do things you could never imagine. The ability to have peace in circumstances that feel like chaos. The ability to love when someone is betraying or persecuting or attacking you. This new power. It goes on to say that those who are led by the Spirit are led to life and peace. Life over death, a fullness, a satisfaction of life, and a peace, a tranquility, an ability to have peace in the midst of chaos that transcends understanding, that casts out fear. That that's what the Spirit is after. Now what I want you to see is that that is the end game of God. That's what he is after. And if you are led along that path, that is where the path ends. But it doesn't often feel like the path is leading there, and you're not going to walk the path perfectly. And it's encouraging for you to realize it's not, you're not going to walk the path perfectly that Jesus did, because some of us feel like if we're not walking the path perfectly, we won't find ourselves in life or peace. We won't find that freedom or power. We won't get there. But what this passage says is that God cannot be stopped even by your own imperfections. Even as you stumble and fall, his end game stays the same. He is after life and peace and freedom and power for you, and he will not be deterred by that. You may veer off course, but God, like Siri, will lead you back away from New Jersey and back into Manhattan. When you make the wrong turn, Google Maps is able to redirect you. How much more is God, when you make the wrong turn, able to bring you back on the right path? But not as he's only able to do, bring you back on the right path, he's able to free you from the guilt and shame that can sometimes overwhelm us when we veer, it off, veer off the path. Romans 8 starts off 
saying there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. So when we walk imperfectly, we can be freed from guilt and shame because the grace of God has overwhelmed and paid for all of our imperfections. But also we can have power to return without the consequences of sin dictating how we act and feel. So you won't walk it perfectly, but the next thing I want you to see is that the path does not always look like it's going to end in life and peace. I know that because I can look at the life of Christ. Right after he's baptized, the very next thing that happened is says he was led by the Spirit. Now, where was he led? He was led into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. So wait a second. You want me to be led by the Spirit towards life and peace, but you want to start leading me to the devil and the wilderness? How is that going to lead to life and peace? He goes and fasts in the wilderness, literally weakens himself, and then faces the deep depth of temptation from the devil himself to be tempted with provision not from God, but in some other means. Power not from God, but some other means. Pleasure not from God, but from some other means. And in the midst of it, Jesus isn't just led by the Spirit to the wilderness. He's led by the Spirit in the wilderness. That in the Spirit's power, it's, he's able to reject the temptations of the devil. And because he's able to reject that, the results on the other side are power and freedom and life and peace. Because as, as he faces that and gets to the other side, as he walks through the valley of the shadow of death, as the psalmist says, when he gets to the other side, he knows that there's nothing that can overcome him. There is nothing that can defeat him. See, sometimes we believe that the circumstances don't look like life and peace, so God's not in it. And sometimes he's leading us through it because he knows the only way to his version of life and peace, not your version of comfort and joy, his version is through the valley. His version is through the temptation. It's through overcoming that God wants to give you the strength and the life that he promised. And so for those of you who are walking through difficulty, who are walking through challenge, God is not absent in many ways, he's very present. In many ways, he is right there. And the message of the scripture is that there is nothing that separates you from God's love if you have the spirit of God. See, the indwelling of the spirit leads you, but it also confirms that he is with you. And it's also a reminder that the story is still being told. Victory is coming. That if there's not life or peace, then God's not done. If there's not freedom and power, then God's not done. You're just in the middle. And I know that because of how Romans 8 ends. Paul's argument ends in this way in Romans 8, verses 35 through 39. He says, can anything separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or even threatened with death? As the scriptures even tell us, for your sake, we are being killed every day. We are being slaughtered like sheep. No. Despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And I'm convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow. 
Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all of creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Why be led by the Spirit? Because the Spirit will be with you in everything you face. The Spirit will give you the power to face it. And the Spirit will lead you to the peace of Christ and the fullness of life that God promises you, no matter what you face. Nothing else will lead you towards that ultimately. It may lead you there temporarily, but it never is final and full like it is with God. But the second question is, how does the Spirit lead? When you place your faith in Christ, how does the Spirit lead? And the language of the Scripture is that there is something within you now that guides you. It's the language of the Old Testament. In Isaiah chapter 30, verse 21, it says, Whether you turn to the right or to the left, your ears will hear a voice behind you saying, This is the way, walk in it. In John 10, Jesus talking about being a good shepherd, he says that my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one can snatch them away from me for my Father has given them to me and he is more powerful than anyone else. No one can snatch them from my Father's hand. The Father and I are one. So the message of the scripture is that when the Spirit comes alive inside of you, there is a new internal voice. There's a new internal voice that is speaking to you that you can listen to, and now you can hear God's words telling you what to do, how to live, where to go, and what to do. Now that can be confusing. How does the voice sound? How do we know it's God's voice? How do we know it's not just, you know, I had something weird at lunch? How do I know it's God speaking in the midst of my life? Well, I want to look at the last half of Romans 8.14 where it says, all who are led by the Spirit are children of God. The analogy that God gives is that he parents you. That his voice is the voice of a loving parent that leads you. Now, there are many different types of parenting situations that we've experienced. And so we can project onto God our parenting philosophy and strategies. And we're lucky enough to see parenting in the city right in front of our faces. <laughs> and there can be different versions of parenting. I have two types of parenting in my own life. Um, I've become a dog parent over the course of the last six months. Pray for me. Is she still a puppy? Uh, we got a dog named Willow. She's a Bernese mountain dog. She arrived and she was 25 pounds. Now she's 75 pounds. So I think I can lead her by the leash, and she thinks she can lead me by the leash. But in dog parenting, you do have a leash involved. There is an element of control that has to be exercised. There is an element where you have to dictate and dominate for a, for a pet what is good or not good. They don't understand that. There's dog parenting in the city that I find absolutely hilarious. Have you ever seen Small Dog Rebellion? Where a dog that is way too tiny to exercise authority decides it's done walking and it just sits and refuses to move. And there's a dog parent thinking, am I going to drag my little dog home? Am I going to pick it up and carry it? And they typically adopt a philosophy of a dog voice. You know the dog parenting voice? Oh, come on. Why don't you just go like this? There is dog parenting that is trying to manipulate a pet. God is not parenting you the way that you might parent a dog. God does not put you on a leash. 
God does not try to dominate and dictate. God does not try to manipulate you with treats and rewards to try to get you to accomplish what he's after. God is a loving father that is seeking to parent you into maturity. And there are phases of parenting in which God seeks to engage in your life in such a way that you grow stronger, that even though you stay dependent on the Spirit, you become more aligned with God's voice in your life, and there is a greater trust and experience of His power and His presence in your life. As I was reflecting on this, I was thinking about the phases of raising kids in the city for us. And so we, we have three kids, and my, my boys were four and two when we moved. We had our daughter here. And so we had the baby phase in the city, where it's strollers and the baby is with you forever. And if you're a stroller with multiple kids, they have to touch the stroller because they're crazy, and you can't chase after them with a, with a stroller. You have to keep them close. There's a baby phase in the Christian life where it feels like the Spirit is so close, you feel so connected, When you first start the faith, there's this renewed joy and life that you experience. There's the baby phase. But then, in parenting, you move on to what I'll call the scooter phase of getting around the city. Maybe you've seen this, where you give a two-year-old a scooter. When you start to reflect on that, you go, why is that a good idea? But they're still dependent on you. You give a scooter and a helmet, and you give boundaries, You don't tell them to stop at the corner of the street. You tell them to stop at the corner of the building because there's the death box at the corner of the street, the ramp that lets them go into the street. But as a parent, you're watching them scoot ahead and you're thinking, please stop at the corner of the building. I don't want to be that crazy parent that screams and runs after you and stops you. But what you're hopeful for in parenting them is that your voice matters and they trust you enough that as you empower them through greater independence... They go and they stop where they're supposed to. But eventually they're done with the scooter and they're the run ahead phase. This is the phase that scares all the grandmas in the neighborhood to scolding the parents into how they should or should not parent their child. That happens to me all the time. I have some PTSD about the grandmas in the neighborhood. But now the kid runs ahead and they're greater independence. They are not bound and protected even by the helmet or by the scooter that grounds them to something. They're able to run wherever they wish. And you're looking and you're hopeful that your voice has now empowered them and they continue to trust you in a way that they will not fall into things that harm them or hurt them. But there is the ability and reality that they will fall. They will stumble, but you're there to pick them back up. In the same way, the Spirit is trying to give you more and more freedom, more and more trust, and that when you fall, the Spirit is there to comfort you, to give you grace, to pick you back up. But now, with my teenagers, I'm in the runaround phase where they have a Metro card and they're in every part of the city whenever they want and it's terrifying. And find my iPhone is not enough <laughs> to track them down. Mm-hmm. But what's happening now is that there is just a trust that we are aligned with values and aligned with the way that we are to operate regardless of our direct connection, regardless of this feeling of them, me telling them what they should or should not do. There's a trust and alignment. And the parenting of God often works in very similar ways. It's no less dependence that you experience. But the greater you grow in relationship with God, the greater you go in trust, it is not that the voice needs to be as loud or as clear. It is just more dominant and more present. You are more aligned with the voice of God. 
And it takes humility for you and I to take a step back and go, what phase in my life do I need to be parented by God right now? Because it's not as linear as we would hope. There are times when you need to go back to that deep dependence because you veered further away. Some of you, that's you. You veered away from God and it's time for you just to come back and be a little bit more dependent on his voice rather than your own or your friend or your neighbor or whoever else. It's time to come back. Others of us, we have felt so clingy to God that we actually haven't been doing what he's asking. His voice is telling us to be bold, to go forth, to pray, to expand, to become more independent and empowered and to live that out. What phase of parenting are you seeking God to lead you in right now? It's no less dependent, but it could be a greater experience of his freedom and his power in your life so that you will walk in the life and the peace that he has for you. He wants to lead you by his spirit and dwelling you, telling you this is the way. Walk in it. So be led by the spirit because he will be with you with everything you face, leading you to life and peace. How? God wants to parent you, to empower you, to maturity so that you look and act and live like Jesus Christ in everything you do. But it's a learning process to be led by the Spirit. Because we don't naturally hear God's voice. We have to be transformed so that our mind thinks the thoughts of God. We have to become familiar, as Alf was praying earlier, with the voice of God in our life so that it becomes more familiar than our own conscience, our own voice, or the voice of others. So how do you go about it? So the learning process is fairly simple, but sometimes it's the simple things that we disregard. The first simple way is that you would get into God's word. He's given us the Bible that we become familiar with what God thinks, what he cares about, what he is after. And so part of this reading plan is that you would get familiar with the Holy Spirit, but part of the reading plan is that you would get familiar with being in his word so you could hear his voice. The same way the familiarity with the voice of a friend or a family member increases by presence, that you would be more present with God. It is so simple, and yet it is so hard. And so that's why we've created community groups and these small groups that you would become so familiar because God always sounds like his word. And so if you're questioning, this seems outside of God's word, how do I do it? You can go back into his word. You can search for it. You can seek it out. You can understand. It's better than an HR policy at work. It's, it's a chance for you to go, what is life and godliness that God is leading me into? Am I supposed to do this? Does it align with his word? Now, unfortunately, some of the circumstances that you and I face in the current moment are not spoken directly about in God's word. It is not so clear black and white, and that's what we wish it was. We want a new law. Tell me what to do or not do. But that's why God says, no, I'm going to give you a relationship, my spirit. The law will be written on your heart. You'll get familiar with that part. But when it's outside the law, if you will, what then? See, in the, in the scriptures, it says that the spirit helps us to pray. See, the second aspect is just time with God through prayer that you become more familiar with his presence. 
And sometimes the Spirit prays and we don't know how to pray. That's really good news. Have you ever find yourself going, I literally have no idea what to do? God says, well, then turn to pray and say, pray for me, Holy Spirit. So, but how do you know again? You might get new thoughts that you didn't have before you prayed. You might hear, well, go to this song or go to this passage or talk to this friend that you trust to speak into your life. There is a time and familiarity that you get with someone else's voice that God wants you to have with his voice. It's word, it is prayer. But one of the things that's helped me most is to be in a community that is seeking God's voice together. When I get a chance to be in community group and I hear somebody else say, I was seeking God and this is what had happened, I can learn, oh, that's what it felt like. For some people, it feels like a bodily reaction, a peace that comes over them. Sometimes it's a sensation that causes them to shake. I'm learning as I'm in community that is seeking God's voice together. There is a learning process of getting familiar with the word, familiar in prayer, that the community is to help. But the last thing is God is actually pretty results-oriented. Sometimes it's trial and error. And that terrifies us. And I'll say this on that front. Over time, I've become familiar with God giving me words for people. But that doesn't make me comfortable with sharing those words for people. There was a time where God said, I want you to email someone and tell them that I am giving them new legs. And I was like, they already have legs. What are we talking about? And he said, I'm just asking you to email them and say, I'm giving them new legs. That's all I'm asking you to do. I was like, but that's just so weird. It doesn't, like, it doesn't make sense to me. Make it make sense to me, and then I'll do it. He's like, will you please just email them? It's a simple sentence. So I took that simple sentence and I said, hey, I got a disclaimer. I don't know if this is God's voice or not. And it sounds weird and it may not be, you know, and I want to make sure that it's like, I don't want anyone to feel like I'm saying, this is the word of the Lord. Boom. You have to believe it. I want to surrender it to them and see if they can sense God's voice in it. So I finally sit sinned and I'm like, this person's going to think I'm just a weirdo. There's the end of that relationship. And they email back and they say, I'm in tears because I've been praying about some pain in my legs that I've told no one about. And for you to share this encourages me that God hears. I'm like, okay, maybe I should just do this more often. But there have been times when I've shared that and the person's been like, I have no idea what you're talking about. That is so strange. So what do I do with that? Did I hear wrong? Are they not hearing? I'll tell you what I've tried to just embrace it as. I've tried to embrace it like I'm a professional baseball player where somehow missing three out of every four at-bats is a good player. Sometimes I'm going to miss. Sometimes they're going to miss. Sometimes it's not going to be the right moment. But being led by the Spirit is better than me limiting the Spirit's work in my life. Being led by the Spirit and risking being wrong, risking missing the moment, risking that they might not receive it. That is the outcome that I want. 
I want someone to affirm and say, you're hearing from God. I want someone to say, that changed my life. That's about me. Can I trust that when God simply gives me a word for someone and I share it, that I've done what he has asked me to do and that he's going to do with it what he wants to do with it? That's one example. It may be that God has you see someone in your office and just says, pray for them. You're like, not in the office. Can we wait until, create a scenario outside of the office? It might be that the person that has just hurt you in your own home, God says, remind them of how you and I love them and who they are. See, the Spirit is so after God's kingdom that is full of life and joy and peace that is willing to overwhelm your comfortability so that it is accomplishing its goals. See, we're not trying to be a church that just runs into this for more spiritual experiences. We're trying to be a church that runs into this for more human experiences of more life and peace that exists where it doesn't exist right now. Jesus saw the world broken and busted. He entered in and walked by the Spirit and healed and restored and renewed. He is here and alive now and every person who claims his name as Lord and Savior. And so he wants us to look at the brokenness. He wants us to look at the pain. He wants us to look at the injustice. And by the same power of the Spirit say, I will enter in. Show me, Lord, what I am to do, what I am to say. We have to learn and prepare. And so we prepare for the fight by getting in his word together. We prepare for the fight by praying and worshiping and being in community together, familiar with his voice. So that when it comes, we don't hesitate, but we act. So that we might experience not just the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, but a filling a filling that overflows and manifests so that more miracles are in this house of God, that more miracles are in this city that God loves. I really believe that there is something coming for our community. I don't know what it is. I keep asking him to show me exactly what it is. But I do believe that God's promises in his scripture are true, that those who seek his face Those who seek to be led by the Spirit are children of God. Those who seek to be filled by the Spirit will be a blessing of God to all. So that's what we're after. I want to be after it with you. So let's do it together. Let's pray. Spirit, I ask that you would overwhelm our sensibilities today overwhelm even our rational thought if necessary. Spirit, we come to surrender ourselves to receive from you. So speak the words of God today to your children. I ask this in God's name. Amen.